Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi. Welcome and uh, uh, welcoming to the show today, Ray Pika is here. Hello. Hi, Ray. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Ray's got a new book. Um, uh, so we're going to, it's it's just just out or is it still? It is. I got my box out. of them on Saturday. Yay. Exciting. Oh yeah, you've got one right <laughs> behind you there. I see. Um, so the, the title of the book is Spark a Revolution in Early, Ch- Early Education. Um, and uh, uh, from Redleaf Press, I guess I'll say mm-hmm. that too. So we've got out, that out there. So let me just... Um, I guess talk a little bit about how the book is set up. You've got it's kind of two sections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one where you're talking about the myths harming children in early childhood education, which is um, uh, sad that that is like those myths we've been talking about forever. It seems like, and and we're still oh, arguing yeah. and trying to convince people. Um, They've really taken hold. And I think that they're, all that misinformation is primarily responsible for yes. all the awfulness that we're yeah. seeing in early yeah. education. Yeah. Um, so myths like earlier is better, children learn by sitting, digital devices are important to learning, and playtime is not productive time. Um, so I know people in the audience are going to be interested in, in in looking at more of that, getting the book for that reason. But I wanted to talk you to, to, to you today about the second half of the book, which is about advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me read this quote where you sort of introduce the idea and then, um, and then I'll let you do whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote the word advocacy tends to frighten or deter people. Perhaps it brings to mind time spent hunched over computer keys, drafting protests to publication editors or people in power. Perhaps it conjures up an image of speaking before a school board meeting or even testifying before Congress. Um, uh, and I, I'll just, I'll just stop it there because your, your point then is that it doesn't have to be all of those, those, those can be advocacy, yeah. but, but, um, but what do you, what, what's your message there picking up from where that left off? Well, yeah, you know, I try to use the word champion as opposed to advocate whenever possible, because I think it's a little less frightening, but yeah. a lot of, uh, early childhood professionals don't see themselves as either, mm-hmm. as either a champion or an advocate. Uh, and I, and I do contend that it's easier than, I mean, public speaking, God forbid, you know, it's the number one fear among humans, <laughs> right? More than being dead. People I'd rather be dead than speak in public. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the book sales are mm-hmm. and how the membership program does yeah. uh, because people are afraid of, of advocacy. But yeah, as, as I, I say, it doesn't have to be 
challenging. I liken it to the drips in the faucet, that one at a time, yeah. you know, fill up the sink eventually, mm-hmm. eventually overflow, and then flood the house. <laughs> <laughs> and just think, Heather, if we all join together, if every early childhood professional did one little thing a week, yeah, it would it would begin to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that I um I've been thinking about, we were talking before I hit record that I'd sort of been thinking about the, just the idea of advocacy and what it really means and looks like. Um, but also I've been thinking a lot in my role as a, you know, a college instructor that, that a lot of people doing the daily work of early childhood care and education um, don't really see beyond the walls of their classroom even. Mm-hmm. So, so they're not, whether that's because they feel disempowered or disenfranchised I think that's part of it but I think maybe for some of them no one's ever offered them a perspective that you're connected to this whole network and field yes um and and purpose it's not just you and your daily schedule you you can impact you can have a broader impact and I, I think that's what um what I think is so important about this this advocacy book a part of your book i mean the myth part is important but then what do we do with it what do we well, do about it those myths is part yeah. of advocacy. if we just right. help parents understand i mean even if we don't go as far as administrators and policymakers, if we just help parents understand mm-hmm. one of those things that yeah. earlier is not better and in fact can be harmful right that play is indeed not only productive but necessary for young children uh, and there are, you know, multiple ways that we can do that. I mean, we can have book clubs, you know, with, with our parents. Um, we can host get-togethers and do make and takes or, you know, um, one of my favorite stories is, and had to have taken place in New Zealand, I heard it a long time ago, because there are Kiwis involved. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> and a preschool teacher was having a parent night, and she gave half of the parents you know, sheets, worksheets or coloring sheets and brown and green crayons and had of, of you know, the drawing was of a kiwi. Mm-hmm. That I think was important to mention. <laughs> <laughs> she took the other half of the parents out to the hall where there happened to be a kiwi tree. You know, so these guys over here were just doing brown and green coloring. Mm-hmm. They could see the shape of a kiwi, but the ones in the hall they got to feel it and taste it and smell it and you know all of that so it it was just such a clear message that active learning you know utilizing the senses is going to be a more uh effective educational experience it's going to be deeper for one thing you know everything about it's going to be deeper yeah and they're going to be much more engaged than you know sitting there with the brown and green crayons so so you know just just something as simple as that Mm -hmm. I see as advocacy absolutely yeah I think it's really just anytime we have an opportunity to stand up for the work we're for the work we do and the needs of children that's advocacy whether it's my co-teacher or a family I want to stay with families and parents for a little bit though because I 100% agree with what you say in in this book and I you know I've said it before I think that's the key. It's not 
legislators, not that we shouldn't, you know, talk to the legislators or, or try. I think if we get families sort of on our team, you know, Mike Huber talks about being on the yes. same team as a lot um, so that they're calling, for example, they're when they call to, to ask about, you know, do you have room for a three-year-old? I've got a three-year-old who needs childcare instead of what do you do to get them ready for kindergarten? The question is, tell me about play in your program. Yes. Wouldn't that be amazing? And yes. I think, I think that would be such a bigger drip, <laughs> like it's a much bigger drip <laughs> bigger in the drip. sink. And, uh, and so you talk about that in here, the power of, of working with parents in this way and with families. Yeah, I tend to agree with you <clears throat> that, that bottom up approach, if you will, can be more impactful than the top down approach. Because if we think about it, we recognize that it's been parents believing and why wouldn't they because they hear so much of it you know the earlier is better stuff mm -hmm. so believing that has caused them to call the child care centers and the early learning environments and say you know uh what are you doing to get my child ready for kindergarten why are they not reading why are they just playing mm -hmm. ah. yeah so, <laughs> The play-based centers have gradually, and sometimes more than gradually, just disappeared. You know, it's like the dodo bird. And, and so if they can do that, if they can create all these academics-oriented early learning environments, they can reverse the trend. Mm -hmm. And we have to help them see what the truth is. So, right. uh, yeah, I think that that... that it, getting the messages across to parents and families. And, and again, that doesn't have to be as challenging mm -hmm. as we might imagine either. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, what if you have a, a get together with, with parents and, and, you know, you, you ask them what they played as a child, yeah. just, you know, reminded them uh, that they did indeed play, mm -hmm. that it was a joyful experience for them. And, and maybe help them remember, you know, yeah. so that they can want the same thing for their children. Mm -hmm. The and other thing that you, that you wrote that resonated with me is, um, you know, the discomfort with talking about educating families. Like I, that yes. I don't, I, I sort of bristle when I hear people talk about parent education. Um, not that whatever, I, it's just so often a, a top down and a power uh, imbalance kind of an approach, but that's not what you're talking about. No, no, I'm talking bottom up as approach as opposed to the policies coming mm -hmm. from the top down. You know, mm -hmm. the, being set at the government level, you yeah. know, or even state level. Um, and I too have um, trouble. I I don't know what the is it informing parents. <laughs> I don't know what to say instead. To I just know I I have a, an an internal reaction. <laughs> Right. And I think that a lot of early childhood professionals, as I say in the book, are, are you know, uncomfortable um, with the whole idea of bringing information to parents because they don't want to seem like the know-it-all. They right. don't want to come across as though, you know, I know your child better than you do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that there are ways to do that. I mean, if there's an article that we want to share about, you know, how great play is, we can hand it to them personally and say, oh, I just found this great article. I yeah. think that you'd really enjoy it. If we share our enthusiasm with them, we can, you know, put it in the child's cubby with a sticky note that says the same thing. Oh, I thought you, oh, 
or we can put it on the, the bulletin board outside the classroom where the parents are, are congregating and waiting for yeah. their children because people like to have things to read while they while yeah. they wait. You I know? worked with a <clears throat> with a teacher who would take articles that she she wanted to send home with families and she had a you know a group of families at that time that she thought probably wouldn't really it would sit in the cubby forever you know so um uh which is like the opposite of me I'd be grabbing and thinking but she she would take little pieces of the article and then find photos of the children that sort of illustrated what was happening and do like a documentation or a bulletin board and Hmm. um and I thought that was so smart of her to do that I just love that I mean, what idea. what parent isn't going to stop to look at pictures of their child exactly <laughs> and, and then see what say you posted the photo is worth a thousand words right a picture is worth a thousand words so I also recommend you know having uh the it on your website the videos and the photos of the children at play and engage in active learning with a little message about what it is they're learning I mean I hate having to justify play I hate it and movement but I've had to do it for over 40 years now (laughs) yes getting used to it and we do what we have to do you know to get the message across and there is another benefit to sharing information with parents and it's that it will help them see us at, well, as professionals. Yeah. Because, you know, early childhood professionals <laughs> just don't get the respect that they deserve. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be as obnoxious as I am. <laughs> one day I was waiting for um, a table in a restaurant back when such things were done. And, and yeah. <laughs> I heard two women say daycare. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of sidled up to them and I said, you know, excuse me, would you, would you mind using the term childcare? Because nobody's taking care of days. <laughs> and they just sort of stared at me and I sidled away. <laughs> yeah. But the seed's been planted, I guess. Right. But, yes. Um, you know, they have to yeah. think about it. Yeah. They have to think about it. Yeah. So, you know, you can do that or you can just have casual conversations right. with the Uber driver or, you know, if you're waiting in line endlessly at the DMV um, and you start a conversation with another parent or, or, you know, whoever it might be and you tell your stories. I mean, even if all you did was talk about why you chose the field and if you eliminated the word just Mm -hmm. from your vocabulary, I'm just a preschool teacher. I'm just an early childhood whatever I mean it's no you're not just anything right um we just have to I just said it but we have (laughs) that was different (laughs) it was different yeah we we have to stand proud and I say we even though I'm not out there uh, you know I'm talking about all the wonderful early childhood educators out there who who deserve respect and a decent wage right and they deserve if they want to have a voice to have some say in these policies you've probably heard and maybe from me because (laughs) i read about it yeah that when the common core standards were created the kindergarten ones they didn't ask a single early childhood professional not a child development expert not a preschool teacher they had 135 people i don't know who they were Mm-hmm. I mean, to some people off the street, what? Yeah. <laughs> the kindergarten should be able to do this. You know, ask an expert. Right. 
Well, and it's not based on child development. I mean, that's because those people weren't at the table. Child development wasn't considered. What was considered was when they're seniors, what do they want? So then at juniors, we better do this. And then Mm -hmm. when they're sophomores, we better do this all the way down to three, four and five-year-olds because we weren't at the table. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. And the stories I hear are just killing me. Yeah. I mean, it's. I just... know you have some at the beginning of the book, and I every now and again when I tell like my students a story like that, I feel like maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe this isn't really happening anymore. And then when I was reading the the, the scenarios that you kind of share at the beginning, I was like, oh no, it is still happening. It is it still is happening. Real. I hear the tales of woe from early childhood yeah. professionals. You know. Uh, uh, instructional coaches, I hear them all the time from people. Uh, a, a new one that didn't make the book mm-hmm. because it's fairly recent was uh, an instructional coach was really upset because she went into a classroom of ones and twos where the, the, the teachers were being required, i.e. forced to use a curriculum with them that taught how to hold a pencil properly, mm. and recognizing sight words. Yeah, They're one and two. She mm. said by the time they're three, a lot of them weren't, weren't toilet trained because the teachers didn't have time you know, to, to work on those things right. that they were supposed to be working on, the things that come naturally at that age. Right. <sighs> um, that, I hate that kind of stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know why I don't have an ulcer. Right. I mean, I've got the white hair, but it doesn't, I guess it doesn't surprise me. I've, um, you know, I've worked a couple of different times for a, a national chain where the curriculum comes down for the whole country. The curriculum is the same. On, you know? And, um, and that curriculum is developed by educational psychologists, not necessarily early childhood people or, or child development people and that's how you know the toddlers are expected to look like school like it has to look like what a lay person would look at and see oh yeah that's definitely learning Mm -hmm. because they're sitting in a group and they're sitting still and they're doing um number and letter things yeah Um, so with that i mean it's combined right yeah (laughs) yes earlier is better and sitting sitting is learning yeah so um yeah we have to you know the other side of it is then we have to we have to know what we're talking about, right? Like the people in the, in the work. And you talked about the wages not being, you know, Mm. respectful or professional. And I think that that leads to turnover. And I think that's why some of this academic easy to duplicate earlier is better kind of stuff takes hold because it's easier if you've got new teachers coming in three times a year. Sure. To just give them that. So, so that's part of the advocacy efforts too needs to be how do we keep people in the field? And well, yeah. Parents, and parents can't do much about that. There's only so much they can pay. I think that's where it does become those bigger audiences with the different kind of power. Yes. Yes. We need, I mean, Congress left childcare out of the, the economic package. Mm-hmm. So enormously frustrating. Right. So enormously frustrating. It, it Nothing has changed since Oh my gosh, I lived in New Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've been here almost 13 years and then gosh knows how long I've been there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I knew a woman in the legislature, uh-huh. state legislature, who was an early childhood professional. 
And she said that every time the subject of childcare came up, these, this is going to be controversial, these old white dudes. Yep. <laughs> it's been said before on this show. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> yes. Would say, my wife never needed childcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was literally decades ago. I mean, we are talking 20, 30 years ago. And, and is that attitude still prevailing? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, I'm currently reading. Um, it's a collection of, of essays that Rafi put together. It's called Child Honoring. Um, and it's beautiful. But uh-huh. uh, the essay I'm reading now is talking about um, the the part I just finished this morning in the doctor's office was about um, the Nordic countries and yes. how their social policies are so much different. And it's because um, of the large percent of women, percentage of women in leadership. It, a lot yes. of this can be attributed to that because they bring such a different perspective yes. than the older white guys who've never had to worry about what happens to the children when I go right. to work. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, or the, the moral judgment. The same thing. Yeah, a, a DEY summit, yeah. uh, and he said fifty percent of yeah. the power in the Nordic countries is held by, and it's not just women because we know that they're not all brilliant. He said by forward-thinking women. Yeah, and that's where I see voting is part of. Advocacy. Absolutely, it is so much easier to vote for someone who shares your philosophy of early childhood and early childhood education than to try to convince somebody who doesn't later on down the line right so a little bit of research you know and and no you don't have to go testify before congress and you don't have to write long sprawling letters to them you can tweet them but you don't have to tweeting yes just just um you know calling them on twitter calling them you know using their uh tagging them on twitter that's what i'm trying to say yeah yeah they all have Twitter mm-hmm. accounts, although, you know, I'm, I'm maybe not so much. for. I know <laughs> since the book came out, uh, since I wrote the book, it's like, do I even mention that anymore? Because yeah. I don't know what is happening over there. Yeah. And it yeah. turns out that um, more liberals are leaving Twitter. I know. I'm sad about it because I learned so much on. there. Yeah. But I'm yeah. staying for a while. <laughs> I'm staying for a while. I need to, because it's such a valuable platform. Yeah. But from what I understand from advocacy experts, mm-hmm. all of the politicians have a Twitter account. Yeah. And they watch their feeds. I mean, maybe not personally, but they have aides who do it mm-hmm. and they take note just the same as if you were to call their office and an aide answered, What is your issue? You tell them. They take note. Mm-hmm. And, and, I was at an advocacy uh, symposium put on by Northern Virginia AEYC a few years ago. And it was a Saturday and they had some members of the state legislature there. And I was just thrilled that they had taken their time, you know, to, you know, to be with us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't remember things 20 seconds after I've heard them. But <laughs> the one thing I do remember that made a significant impact on me was when the one gentleman said, if you want us to know what's important to you, you have to tell us. I mean, how many times have I said to a man, I'm not a mind reader. You know, <laughs> they're not mind readers either. Yeah. Um, and, and they've got issues coming at them from every direction. Right. So they're not going to just suddenly go, oh, I think maybe early childhood education is something that I should pay attention to. No, if it has to be their consistent 
constituents right. pointing out to them this is important. So yeah. Yeah, I think, you don't have to go testify, but you'll have to tweet. Yeah, I think some of us in the field have been complicit, complicit in perpetuating some of the myths that you talk about in here because really? we were so excited when early childhood started to be talked about period. Um, we didn't want to rock the boat. And so we're like, well, we have to do, we have to look like what they want us to look like then. Uh, and, and I think we gave away a lot of stuff early, early in this, in the conversation. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it can't be. That can't be changed. It can't be changed. I mean, I, I think there are plenty of people within the field who still believe those myths for whatever reason. Mm. Um, so just another reason why advocacy sometimes is your coworker. It's, it's it not is. always, um, it's not always it external. It, sometimes right. it's that person who's in the classroom next to you who doesn't quite understand why you don't make them all sit at the table to do the same activity altogether. You know, one of the things I, I put under <clears throat> the heading of advocacy is modeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We model best practices. It, it will be noticed, you know, yeah. whether, whether we leave our doors open for administrators and parents to see what we're doing, or if it's for coworkers, um, professional development is advocacy mm -hmm. because, you know, we, we, we give the message that we're never done learning. There's always more to learn. And then when we turn around and we live those, those, you know, what we've learned again, right. we, we're modeling. So yeah, yeah I maybe true literal advocates would object <laughs> to my definition of advocacy well, uh, yeah i mean i think there is a profession like there is a group of people whose job is to is to be a, a legislative advocate and maybe sure. they would be like oh no my job is so much more important than what you're describing <laughs> but if we're talking about the verb you know to advocate or the the idea of advocacy then i think yeah the champion the the voice um yes. i mean i think literally that's probably the etymology of um or entomology <laughs> whichever one is not bugs and is words <laughs> of advocacy is, is, is about a voice right it's <laughs> it's it's not about power it's about a voice yes yes and educators in general have not had a voice right and, you know i've told this story before uh, some a colleague several years ago said to me educators teachers for too long have been told to shut up and do their jobs yep and for too long, they've complied. And I think that early childhood educators are probably more likely to comply, not, not because they're weaker, mm -hmm. but because they don't view themselves as champions. They right. don't view themselves as, as professionals with a voice. Right. Or as being connected to anything beyond. Yes. Yeah. where I spend my day every day. Yeah, well, yeah. that is where social media, I mean, social media has done its damage in perpetuating yeah. these myths for sure. Yeah. Um, and others, yeah. but it is a blessing when it comes to, I mean, certainly the, the uh, early childhood educator who's in a rural area of mm -hmm. Idaho, you know. Right. She is still part of something. She mm -hmm. still has her personal learning network, her PLN yeah. uh, on Facebook or wherever it might be. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, you don't have to I... be alone anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so hold on. Let me look at, let me, let me, let me look for a minute. This is where the podcast sure. gets good when I'm, when I'm uh, <laughs> flipping through my highlights. 
Um, the other thing that I, and, and um, I, I don't know how much time we've, we've got, but I wanted to um, in one point, at one point you write um, Mary, who you're telling a story of Mary, who's a teacher had done almost everything right, but she failed to remember WIFM what's in it for me. As a result, all the data she gathered referenced the benefits of play in general, but neither her principal nor her superintendent were interested in how play benefits children. And no. so that's part of your discussion of making sure you really know what's going to get your audience, what, yes. whoever your audience is for know whatever your, your advocacy action is. Exactly. <laughs> those, those administrators that she was, you know, she was trying to get more than five minutes of recess for the little ones right. in this school. Um, they weren't interested in, in how good play is for children, but they were interested in grades and test scores and all that sort of thing. And there was plenty of research out there that Mary could have brought to them that showed the benefits of breaks, recess, and all of that. Right. And how it could be tied to the test scores or the learning or whatever was of value. You know, we, we we get tired of that defense, but if that's yes. what someone's going to, if that's, what's going to make their ears perk up, then that's what we've got to be aware of. And Yeah. There's so much research about, about the importance of breaks yeah. uh, to optimal brain performance, about the importance of physical activity. I mean, we know mm-hmm. that water, oxygen, and glucose are produced by moderate to um, uh, what's the other one? <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different word. But... Yeah intensity, physical activity. So if the children are running around, uh, it's feeding their brains with water, oxygen, and glucose. That's brain food, literally. Yeah. And it optimizes the brain's performance. And Dr. Chuck Hillman, I've shared his, his brain scans that he posted yeah. uh, in the past. And if you look at the one that's been sitting, it's not lit up at all. And if you look at the brain after just a 20 minute walk, it's mm-hmm. all lit up. Yeah. I mean, that's the brain we want for engagement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another, I mean, that's another myth or another piece of research that's gotten confused is this whole, all that we know now about how how the brain develops from birth to five or whatever. Some people took that and said, oh, then we need to cram it. Earlier is better. We need to cram more in instead of what you're describing where we look at, oh, what does that mean? (laughs) What specific things about the brain do we know now? And how can that impact our work? Exactly. I kind of think it it goes back to, um, what's his name who played Meathead on all? Yes, Rob Reiner. Yeah. Rob Reiner. Yeah. When he 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 started to really advocate. Mm -hmm. And and he brought to light how many brain cells are created during the first three years. Did a lot for infants and toddlers. Yeah. Yeah. But But... scared parents to death. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you yeah. know, and I've got to get the flashcards. I've got to get the lap infant yeah. lapware, you know, and oh, uh, yeah. I, I was thinking the other day about how I never went to preschool or kindergarten. <laughs> Maybe I'd be far more advanced had I gone. To- <laughs> Imagine your powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was nothing that was offered for free when I was a child. And, yeah. and we didn't have any money. Right. So I just sauntered into first grade and, and I did fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's my 20 second book. So I must've learned something. (laughs) That's exactly right. I think, I mean, storytelling, like you're, like you've been doing and like you do in the book is such an important way 
to do this advocacy and even just sharing your own story, you know, like that. Um, If you're, I don't know, if you're not a teacher who's confident enough to, to say all you just said about the brain, you know, and, and the brain food and the exercise component, um, then you just can tell a story. Like, you know, we, they're always, they ask better questions when we come in from a long playground, you know, you can, you can tell those Uh stories that you see every day. Um, if you're not confident enough to cite research, you can, you've got research in front of you every day. If you absolutely you know the stories I, that's happening. I was just thinking about some of the, um, <laughs> the childcare professionals that you and I, I think both follow on Facebook mm-hmm. and the photos yeah. that they post of the children playing and the things that we can see they're learning mm-hmm. just, just through play. Yep. That's um, right. so boy, they are advocating. Yep. That's what they're doing, whether they realize it or not. That's right. Big time. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I know um, I got to wrap it up because I've got a meeting. Otherwise, <laughs> 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 we could just keep talking. Well, but we could. We could just I, go yeah, on and on. <laughs> do it again. We'll just have you come back again. But I know you've got some stuff specific about the book that you want to, like how people can find you and um, and what the, you know, give the book title again, all that stuff, your blog. Yeah, absolutely. Tell everybody what you want them to know about you. Should want to know about me is at (laughs) raypika.com. Yeah. And I do have, uh, you can gain access to a free resource library for early childhood professionals. There There are 20 downloadable guides. You just go to raypika.com for that. Um, Spark a revolution in early education, speaking up for ourselves and the children is now available wherever books are sold. (laughs) Yeah. It (laughs) always cracks me up when I post something about a book and someone comments, where can I get that? (laughs) (laughs) Are you new here? (laughs) (laughs) On the planet. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And uh, I am, I am create, I have created, I don't know what tends to use. I Uh have created a membership program called Spark a Revolution, A League of Champions. Like because it. there have been so many times I've read a wonderful book and I thought, oh yes, but then I didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the book's fault. I just needed some more motivation. So I decided that rather than just put the book out, I would provide a little bit extra motivation. So I've got this membership program, 12 monthly webinars that expand on the, the, the chapters of the book and offer suggestions for action steps and uh, you know the private Facebook community, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just, uh, I don't want to leave this earth until I'm sure I've done everything I possibly can <laughs> yeah. to make a difference, but I can't do it alone. I need everybody's right. help. So. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the current membership closes, it's open now, it closes on December 11th. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who hears this show after that, there will be a cohort too. So just, just you know, hang on and keep looking. Yes, keep checking. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you sign up for my mailing list, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got, uh, you do really have a lot of good stuff on your website and, um, are, are you still doing the, the author class, the how to be an yes. early childhood author or whatever? Yeah, uh, become an early childhood author. Mm-hmm. Five simple steps to get started or something yeah. like that. Yep, yeah, I will yeah. open that up for cohort three in January, I think. Yeah. Because yeah, I want those who want to have that voice, you know, to get the, the 
the word out via book mm-hmm. or even articles. Um, I want to help them do that. Yeah. Uh, one thing yeah. I figured out is how to get published. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I did. I think of the first round. I was I was in your first cohort for that. Yes. I really enjoyed it. So I wanted to yeah, make sure and, that. And so how's the book coming? Included that too. It's coming. <laughs> I have an annotated table of contents ready to go Yay! off to an editor. So um, yeah, so there's progress, but November, okay. I lost all of November <laughs> when I was supposed to be making much oh. more progress, but um, thanks Why? for asking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let well, me thank know you. If you need any help. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being on and for the book. And um, I hope people again, will. Although I will... think I invited myself. <laughs> you did, but that's fine. <laughs> Only because I've invited you before. Uh, so we have that going. Um, yeah. yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad you did. And I hope folks will um, will buy the book and check out your uh, the membership program. I think that sounds like a great idea. Fingers crossed. I don't yeah. want them to be scared of that word advocacy. Nope, nope, or revolution. Nope. A revolution might Right? Sound- that should be the word. <laughs> yeah. Although that might sound a little drastic to people too, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm you here for it. revolutions. Drip, yeah. drip, 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 drip. That's right. That's right. Um, well, we'll get there. We'll do it. We'll get people on board and we'll we'll get we'll get people moving forward with this. <laughs> Okay. So thank you again, Ray. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, Come back again next week for another episode. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh...